0: Welcome to AMDG, a Jesuit podcast. I'm your host, Mike Jordan-Lasky. If you've been to Catholic Mass in the United States at some point over the past few decades, you've probably sung at least one piece of music by a group of five composers called the St. Louis Jesuits. Here, I'll quiz you. How many of these song titles do you recognize? Be Not Afraid, Here I Am, Lord, Come to the Water, City of God, one bread, one body. Lift up your hearts, though the mountains may fall. I bet you're humming at least one of them already. While the St. Louis Jesuits have gone their separate ways over the years, all writing and playing music independently, they are reuniting in September for one final concert together, a 50th anniversary celebration of their partnership. I recently spoke with two members of the group, Father Rock O'Connor and Dan Schuette, we talked about five of the group's greatest compositions, one by each member, and had a lot of fun walking down memory lane. Thanks for joining us. Dan Chudy and Rock O'Connor, thanks so much for coming on AMDG. I'd love to just start by talking a little bit about the, the 50th anniversary concert. Uh, how did this idea come about, and how did it turn into reality?
1: Rock, that's yours. You were at the start of it. Um,
2: I had... Produced the two previous concerts, 2009 in Omaha, uh, 2015 here in Milwaukee. And uh, since I've been on the board of the Ignatian Spirituality Project that gives Ignatian retreats to homeless women and men who are in recovery, I wanted to do something um, on their behalf. And I thought two things. One is that would be a really good thing to do. Uh, we, we, we've done benefits for other groups. Um, I uh, So I asked the guys and just said, you want to do uh, one more? Uh, we're, as I see it, the two realities of uh, aging and um, uh, having no common projects in the future uh, just says to me, well, let's let's go out with uh, gratitude and uh, grace. So that's how it came about for me.
0: Excellent, so are the five of you going to have to get together and rehearse them? I imagine they'll have to be uh, some preparation, right? And bring you all from wherever you're, you're scattered? Uh, there. The interesting
1: thing is that for this last concert together, we're putting together a whole new program of music. Um, over the last 15 years, We've we've done a program that include both old and new music, and so we decided to to do a whole new program, which is a huge undertaking. Um, some of some of the songs we're attempting to do in September are pieces that we've not played together at least for long many years. Um, and and our because we live across the country, spread across the country, um, we can't rehearse um, until we get there to St. Louis in September. So we'll we'll have a mega rehearsal um, on Friday night.
2: Yeah, five of us and my brother. It
0: yeah. sounds like a, an exciting reunion and a, and a lot to prepare for. Um, but no, I know it's going to be uh, just a, a wonderful time for folks to, to get together and to, and to think back again over those years. It's like, I think, I imagine for the, the two of you thinking about 50 years, that's a, a great chunk of time. And so I do want to turn the clock back to the beginning, you know, kind of looking back over those years and, and t- take us through the story of the, the beginnings. What are, what, are the, what was the origin of uh, the St. Louis Jesuits? Well, Dan, that, I think that
1: you start that. man. Yeah. Okay, I'll start that. Um so, Mike, it's I think of it as as happening in baby steps. Um, there was no one moment where we sat down together and decided, "Oh, let's let's become a group and do this venture." Um, interesting thing is the name Saint Louis Jesuits was given to us. It wasn't that we chose it. So we. Um, Rock and I actually did music together even before we we arrived in St. Louis, back at our novitiate in, in um, Minneapolis, St. Paul. We arrived in St. Louis for our stage of Jesuit training, and it began. But We were doing music for our liturgies um, at our House of Studies that we invited people from the outside community to join us. Um, and we were beginning to write music. John Foley had already written a number of pieces that we used regularly for our liturgies, and people came there um, to that those worship services and continue, <laughs> continually asked for copies of the music. And um, so we it, it began our the group began in, in the process of playing music for liturgy. When it was time for us to leave St. Louis, uh, Rock and myself and Bob Dufford, we decided to throw together this collection um, of the music that we had written. John and Rock and Tim and myself put it together in a book, and we decided to do a rough recording that we did in the basement of Fuse Memorial, our House of Studies. and But we never thought of the venture at that point as going any further than that.
2: Right. You want to take over, Rock? Yeah. Um, Dan's being a little uh, shy about this. He was writing uh, when I entered the novitiate in 67, or just right after that. So I entered in 67, a year behind Dan he had been writing music. There are other guys who had been um, filling in music too. Bill Geiger, Bill Laird, uh, Greg Christopher, uh, guys you probably won't ever hear of. Eddie Stein, Eduardo Stein. And um, when we got to St. Louis, uh, there was beginning to have already developed a body of music. Uh, Mannion arrived at our place at, at Fuse Memorial in St. Louis for philosophy studies, along with a couple other guys. Jim Knapp played bass and Ralph Cacioppo played uh, piano. And so a group of singers, of uh, Jesuits, formed around the liturgy there. And we just, we just did all kinds of stuff. Uh, and, and Dan's right. We, we, we uh, recorded about, is it 53 or 57 songs in about three weeks. Yeah. Uh, it was really basic. And um, we thought that was it. That was just it.
0: Sure. So I love that story. Just again, music kind of coming out of a community that gathered to pray, but then kind of taking on a life of its own. You know, as we release work into the world, you never know what's going to happen. And so do you remember that when you started to realize, oh, this might be more than we had bargained for?
1: Yeah. So that first collection of music became um, a four LP set of records um because there were like rock said 57 pieces i think it was wow. and we were we were fairly surprised at the reaction of people um to that music i mean we we had heard reactions of the people who came to worship with us but the reaction when that um collection went out to the world was was pretty amazing um and people want, it became obvious that people were hoping for more from our hands. So, what happened is so, after neither silver nor gold was released, I think in 1973 or maybe early 74, 84. we decided the summer of 74 to the five of us to gather in Berkeley, California for a summer of learning music from each other and writing and seeing, seeing what might happen. The music we wrote that summer eventually became our one of our best-selling recordings, Earthen Vessels, that we recorded the following summer in Cincinnati. And I would, Rock, I don't know about you, but I would say it was really with Earthen Vessel, with that summer together that we spent in Berkeley. And then with the recording of earthen vessels that I think the concept of ourselves or the self image of ourselves as a group was formed. Right. I think so. And, uh, it was a sense of two things,
2: uh, working together and and our composition seemed to prod each other on to say, Oh, um, let me try this. Um, and at the same time, um, in 1976, before we recorded again in Cincinnati, we um, we sat down and talked about this and decided to say, okay, we'll accept the name St. Louis Jesuits and function as a group of composers who come together to record.
1: Right. Really? I, I think that's rock is making an important distinction because many people, I think, then, then both then and now think of us as this group of perf- performers. And that wasn't the way we thought of ourselves. We thought of ourselves as a, a companionship of composers. One of the, the, the most graced um, outcomes of our companionship was how we would trust each other with new music when any of us, any of the five of us, would write a new piece of music, we'd bring it to the group, and the group would react to it um, with with encouragement, with suggestions, with with pointing out to us places that weren't quite right yet. Um, I think we all learned so much about composition, and especially about comp- composing for the liturgy, from that group process that we had in those days. Yes, very much.
0: What are some of those big takeaways that you get from being in a kind of collective like that? It's fascinating to me because I, I would imagine that composing itself for an individual composer is a sort of solitary job. It's a lot of time, again, kind of sitting and thinking and tinkering. But then to, to bring that together as a group that you're talking about, what are some of the things that you then took back to uh, the fut- You know, your future? Compositions. How did that influence uh, your, you know, your life following?
1: I I know one of the things for me. It, it, this is only one of many, but one of the things for me that that I learned, and this is largely from John Foley, really, was his his um, acumen in in being so careful that. The, the music and the rhythm of the, the text fit together. So spoken text has rhythm and accent to it, and so does music. But there are a lot of times that composers write songs where the rhythm of the English language, the spoken word, is different than the rhythm and accent of the music. And when those two don't sync together well, um, it can be a distraction, excuse me, a distraction for um, the listener. They may not be able to put into words what they're hearing. They may not even know that there's a distraction. So so John, John really taught me, and I, I suspect all of us, yeah. to be sensitive to that element of writing music so that and i think it's one of the things that that people find, a lot of people comment on the songs that we've written and they they make comments like oh it it's so easy to sing it seems so natural the the text fits with the music so well well this whole element of rhythm and accent is one of the pieces that helps that to happen yeah
2: i think too there is the encouragement to um uh, to explore um, what we kind of native, the kind of music we natively uh, connect with. Uh, So Foley's uh, more than just a classical composer, but he's certainly that and has a command of that vocabulary from the 20th century. Uh, Dan, I've always thought certainly uh, uh, the best of folk music Uh, as an influence for you. I'm not sure what else you'd claim today, Um, Um, but melody. I mean, you're, you're, you're the king of melody writing, man. Um, Manning's in that similar vein of folk. Uh, Dufford always liked Handel and also sang a lot of chant as a youth. And my background is rock and roll. And so um, there was welcome of the different styles By the group that was encouraging and also um, the the sense that this is a good thing to keep seeking to pursue to uh, let it flow.
0: I imagine if the five of you had come together interested musicians coming together within the Catholic Church say 50 years prior um, wouldn't have had the same output, right? So Rocky described the, the variety of influences there, and then coming together in the early 1970s, kind of on the tail end of the, the Second Vatican Council, where we were exploring as a faith community, what you know new forms of uh, liturgical music can we use to kind of support the, the praying community? Uh, so did, did you remember feeling that, like feeling like you were at this time of huge transition, and things were, were changing, and you had opportunities to do things that you wouldn't have had even a couple of decades before?
1: I don't think we had, we understood the context, but, but I think that time when we were beginning to write music after the council, the council was a big influence on us. Um, My experience of music as a young, young boy, um, high school, grade school and so forth was primarily Gregorian chant, which I happen to love. And, and, um, because chant has such beautiful melodies, but also traditional hymns, without the council coming along and sort of opening the doors and allowing our imaginations to to run free with the possibility of other styles of music as being appropriate for worship, um, I think, I don't know what would have happened to us. I don't know if we would have had the same um inspiration and impetus to do the writing that we did right can you
2: can you imagine i mean nothing against us, but can you imagine being influenced mainly by frank Sinatra i mean holy cow um but the deal is uh two. There was this part of what Vatican II asked was each of the religious orders to go back to their fundamental charism. So spiritual exercises and the study of scripture started to become important. Uh, but more than that um, was the recovery of the possibility of Jesuit artists. Um, I've talked to so many um had over the years of so many older Jesuits who said, yeah, I I came, I entered the order with the capacity to play violin, to play piano, to do all this stuff. And some of them said it was completely discouraged and forbidden. Others said, well, we could get together and play trios or something like that for community events. So it was the music, but it was also... An openness to art that was
0: really new.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, a chance yeah. to really
0: use your your gifts and interests to build up the church and to build up the society of Jesus. And again, these, these great gifts that you're able to offer uh, to the world uh, because of that, you know, that time lining up with uh, with what you are bringing. Um, I, I was wondering, too, just as you've done, again, a lot together, a lot independently um, through the years, just that there are any stories that you've been recalling or stories you think you might be telling uh, to each other, uh, remembering when you're uh, in St. Louis next month. I, th- I think one of the
2: great ones is um, um, Dan and I were in theology together in Berkeley, California in the late 70s. And you were uh, commissioned to write a song for some kind of thing in
1: the city in San Francisco for... Well, um, it, was, uh, it was at um, St. Anthony's Foundation in the city. Uh, there were Jesuit Tertians at the time. Working in the city for the St. Anthony's Foundation, which is mainly uh, sort of a, a shelter and open kitchen for folks in the Tenderloin area of, of San Francisco. So there's the street people, the homeless at the time, and and so forth. So they decided to do this event. I think it was called "Take Back the Night" or something. Yeah, something like that. But they they wanted to have they had this grand idea of having this event in Union Square, which is smack dab in the middle of the, the shopping district, and this was going to happen during in the weeks prior to Christmas. So the stores are all direct uh, decorated with Christmas, and people are coming out. Um, so they asked, Dan, could you write a song for this event that you would come to sing, bring your Jesuit companions and whoever you can get? And so we stood in Union Square, um a cold night, um, really playing, cold. playing City of God. That's what City, City of God was written for. It wasn't written originally for uh, liturgy. It was written for this event in Union Square. And,
2: and what I remember was it was really cold. Yes. And not only that. There was like one guy in the park who was homeless.
1: <laughs>
2: yes, and um, yeah, I won't. I won't talk about your driving that night. Anyway, we had this van full of guys, and and you got us there safe that's a, that's the main thing
0: <laughs> uh, i love those those origin stories and i want to get into those a little bit with some of your greatest hits uh quote unquote uh so what, what i wanted to do was go through five uh songs from the saint louis jesuits collective uh one by each of the the five members we'll play a little bit of it and then i just want to we'll talk a little bit about each one and uh learn a little bit more about them so <laughs> let, let's start dan with one of yours uh here i am lord so let's listen
1: Till their hearts be satisfied
0: Okay, Dan, so where did Here I Am, Lord, come from?
1: Here I Am, Lord is is also a song from those years that Rock and I spent in Berkeley, so the late 70s into 1980. Um, we were doing our theology study. So one day, um, this Jesuit um, peer of ours came to my room in Berkeley and said, Dan, I have a favor to ask. Um I'm in charge of the, the liturgy for the diaconate ordination coming up um, and, and was wondering whether you'd be willing to write a song. The prob- problem with his request was that the ordination was less than a week away. Oh no. and, yes. and, and I looked at him and I says, Mike, I don't, <laughs> I I like to spend time with my music and so forth. I says I don't know if there's any possibility, but I I, I promised him that I would try. My my, I remember sitting with my guitar on my lap, sitting in my room there in Berkeley, and and saying I don't know where to start with this, um, and saying a prayer and asking asking for some inspired help. My one of one of my po- poignant memories of that piece was the day that i needed to deliver that to my friend mike and to to have it printed for the choir and i remember this vivid memory of walking down the sidewalk in front of the house where i lived with the score in my hand and a pencil and eraser and as i'm carrying it over to to him, to Mike's place, changing words and changing notes, and thinking to myself, "Oh my God, I don't know that this is even gonna gonna work." Um, it's it's an amazing experience. I suspect you have this have had this too, Rock. Yeah. Where you've you you write a piece, and. Some pieces, as you're writing it, I've thought, boy this is this is really going to be a significant piece and it turns out that people don't connect with it those some of those pieces are all but forgotten with here I am Lord it, it's the opposite story. I had no sense that it was significant or important at all and and it sort of becomes this piece that, um, that I'm so identified with, and that people out there just tell me story after story about how important it's been in their life. Um, I will sh- share with you, um, there are others of my songs that are much more significant to me in my life of faith and my relationship with God than Here I Am, Lord is. So it's, it's one of those ironies of I think of being an artist um, where you allow the spirit of God to work in the work of your hands and sometimes and you don't control that. There's mystery to it.
2: And, and Dan, I remember um, uh, somehow we got a, a recording of that from that diaconate. Um, and there was a cassette tape available. I remember using that for prayer afterwards and just, it just, it slaying me each time, man. It was amazing. Still is. Still is. You know,
0: and that is such, you know, that piece of the creative endeavor of releasing it to the world and it's no longer <laughs> yours and that kind of risk well. that that is. Uh, and again, your lack of control, as you were saying, Dan, and I, for you know, my own connection with with that came in, in grad school and theology grad school. We had 17 of us in our cohort in a very rigorous program and we would be scattered throughout the country and would come back each summer to, to take courses and we would pray together and we had a, a number of musicians. And when we used Here I am, Lord, we would not use it quietly. And reflectively, we would use it with me on the djembe, <laughs> very upbeat, uh, just kind of getting a lot of our energy out, just trying to reaffirm our commitment to ministry, even you know after we've had some some tough years uh, you know, working in parishes, to come back together and use that as the kind of like rallying cry almost. It had just, it was reinvented for me in that, in that it was, again, played off different than I had uh, heard it growing up uh, with, again, a lot more energy. And so I imagine, again, there are so, as you mentioned, so many stories and contexts. Are there any particular stories? stories you've heard that you carry with you uh, about that song or really any of your, your others uh, that people have said, oh, this was so important to me in a difficult time in life or, or any other uh, situation like that? Um, there,
1: there's a story, and I, I, I haven't thought of this in a long time, but it's the one that popped in, into my mind, of, of some um, person in the military being in Afghanistan and they're, they're on patrol. Um, and they, you know, they have their chaplain with them and decide to have mass, you know, out somewhere in, in the desert of Afghanistan. And he wrote to to say, Dan, so we, we couldn't remember all the words to this, but me and my buddies remembered enough of the song that we could sing the refrain together at our little gathering you know around the the eucharist table that day and so it's it's so much a sense as you are saying mike of you know sending this piece or the pieces that we were sending them out into the world and having no idea uh what kind of influence they might have or how they might be used or how they might touch touch people's hearts and lives um And it's so much beyond us, you know.
2: Yeah, people really resonate with that piece, Dan. They really do. Everywhere I've I've been part of a music group.
0: Hey, Rock, I want to turn to one of your compositions next, uh, Oh Beauty Ever Ancient. So let's listen to a little bit and then I'll ask you about it. This created
2: world is glorious, yet I could not see. Fine.
0: Okay, Rock. So this is uh, some text of Saint Augustine that you set to music. Uh, tell me a little bit about where this song came from.
2: A um, couple of sources, Mike. Um, uh, I had made retreat with one of our really wonderful Jesuit retreat directors and spiritual directors, Bob Liewicky, who died a couple of years ago. Just a wonderful man, and um, he you know, here, pray this, take the text of Augustine's prayer and sit with it. And it just, it had an impact in my life that over the two, two retreats and the following years I would go back to from time to time. And so it was just there. Um, I was teaching at Creighton University, teaching the theology class, two of them actually, the Eucharist and then um, sacraments. And I would begin each class with a prayer, and I decided to put Augustine's prayer into the syllabus so that we all could say it together. So it was very much in my mind. At the same time, I was listening to uh, the music from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? That incredibly wonderful music of older folk songs. And I was taken by... Um, um, down to the river to pray that uh, thing that Alison Krauss so well did. I was taken by that. And I thought, how the deuce do you write something in that vein? And so I just studied, the, looked at the, the notes and figured them out and said, okay, here's a pattern. And um, one day, uh, the, the text and uh, the sense of a pattern just started to come together. Often enough, I'll get a, a words and, 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 and a melody at the same time. And I did, and pretty much for the, uh, most of the first verse, I didn't have the refrain yet. It didn't come to me yet. But that song w- was kind of worked out. Uh, some songs you labor long on and just, you know, Find, seeking the answer to say what is this song about, um, this one unfolded in a way that was uh, very—it felt very natural—and I'm really grateful that happened. So, um, it what what it means to me uh, still is that part of the continual realization. Late have I loved thee. Um, you know, I thought I walked my road alone. I um, uh, got caught up in creatures, still do that. Seeking you and creatures, uh, fleeing grief and pain within. You know, that's the sort of thing that that's, uh, I resonate with. And that's what I find other people resonate with, too.
0: Mm, beautiful. Dan, when, when you hear Oh, Beauty Ever Ancient, what strikes you about that song? You
1: know, um, so much of of um, I guess what I'm inspired by in this world is is the whole I'm going to say concept of beauty, but but it's um, somehow I I've always tried to be someone who who takes the time to recognize beauty. Um, however it might come to us, you know, whether it's beauty of nature, whether it's a beauty of melody, whether it's a beauty of a text, whether it's a beauty of, of some human person doing something incredibly kind for another person. Um, All those things are for me about beauty. And that's, that's what, um, that's why I love to live and what I, what I take from, from life and what inspires my music. So, so just from the beginning of your song rock um, to that line, Oh beauty, ever ancient um, it's, it's speaks to me of this beauty that is, is, is not ephemeral, but it exists deep down um, like Gerard Manley Hopkins says deep Deep down in the bone marrow of this world and of us as human beings and in this wonderful thing, that the gift that we've been given of being able to create music. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Great. Thank you uh, for that reflection, Dan. Um, okay. Next, I'd love to turn to uh, Be Not Afraid by Bob Dufford. So let's listen to a little bit of that one. You shall speak
2: your words to foreign men, and they will
0: understand. You shall see the face of God,
2: and live.
0: recording from here in Washington, D.C., just about a block from the White House. And, and one thing I recently learned about uh, Be Not Afraid was that it was played at a presidential inauguration back in uh, 1993, uh, Bill Clinton's inauguration or ceremonies around that uh, selected that hymn. So that is one that also has kind of transcended. Uh, where we originally came from, and uh, so what? The two of you again is a piece by uh, Bob Dufford, who, who's not here on the line, but again, clearly one that you've had familiarity with, and that we all, if we've gone to mass uh, in the U.S. or other places in the past, uh, you know, few decades, we would have heard and had some familiarity with. What What is your uh, experience of, of that song?
1: I have this. I have this memory. Um, this is before "Be Not Afraid" existed. Um, Bob Dufford and I, a number of times um, during those years in St. Louis, probably once every couple months, we'd get together at one of our houses, we'd go back to our rooms, and we'd we'd share with each other some of the things we were working on. So he he had this little melody that he played on guitar and he he would hum to me. And he said, Dan, I don't know what to do with this. This is, you know, it's it's haunting me. This, oh boy, this lasted I my concept is this went on for probably a year and a half. And every time we'd get together, he'd bring out that little thing. And I'd remind Duff, you got to do something with this. And um Rocky, you, you may remember this better, but I think it was that summer that we spent in Berkeley. Isn't that when it sort of gelled for him?
2: It may have just gelled. It may have gelled just before that. Um, that he brought it out because he had a lot of, a lot of it by
1: then. Okay. But yes, I, I do. The part that I do remember of the story that he would tell is there was a, a, a woman religious friend of his who was being sent off to Africa. And so in, in reflecting on her being sent to the other side of this planet, um, is, I, I think, part of where he was inspired to take that text from Isaiah and use it for this song. Right. Right.
0: You both have described in the thinking of that process of, of taking a, a text and sitting with it. So much of Sacred Song has roots in Scripture and the saints. Uh, what is that process like? I imagine there's prayer reflection, trying to match a text to a particular melody. Rock, you briefly described a little how that process sometimes works for you. Uh, So, yeah, what is that like? Or does it look different with each individual composition?
2: Oh, it's different with each one. Um, uh, We'll often talk about, among us, about a given. So, for example, probably 98% of the pieces I've ever written start with a uh, I hear something from Scripture, and um, I know it melodically. I mean, it comes out melodically, like in the second. And sometimes you get a measure. Sometimes you get four measures or eight measures or more, and that's the given. And then the rest of it becomes either a labor or a, a, an, an easier, easy, easier birthing process. But in both instances, it's, it's a kind of a birthing process that um, takes a little bit of time or a lot of time.
1: Rock, that's so interesting. I, I don't think you and I have ever talked about that piece of our process. But, but oh, my gosh, I resonate so much with what you just described. My, my process is often having just one line, oftentimes scripture, but but just a line of you know sometimes even not even a whole sentence but a line that inspires a melody and then I have to work at yeah. filling in the blanks after that. Yeah. Um, I I think one one of the the most um, precious gifts. Um, I don't know about you, Rock, but for me it certainly is most precious gifts of my Jesuit formation was being taught early on how to pray with scripture and having, having the scripture as sort of the, the heart and center of my um, growing relationship with God. I, I I don't think I ever, I, I have no memory at least of ever praying with scripture before entering the Jesuit. No, 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 no. And then all of, because it's so, because scripture is so much at the heart of um, the Ignatian exercises. Um, that's the way we were taught yeah. from, from early on. And so as we moved into this place of writing music, um, scripture became the, the most obvious, the most natural place really. to, yeah. go, to go. Because listening in, in our own hearts and our own spirits to where God was, was all connected with scripture.
0: Yes. Yeah. I just love the way you both describe that process uh, as opposed to writing, you know, maybe not, not a song that would be used in a uh, liturgical setting, worship setting um, where you're kind of left with nothing to start with just your imagination, which that process too is, is great. And they're obviously such wonderful songs that come that way. But this thing, the thing that's special about your sacred song is that you, Again, you're often working with that text and like seeing how you receive that, and, and then how you can reinterpret or, or bring it together with other influences and put it back out into the world in a different way. It's just such this, this fascinating kind of work of like creative recombination or interpretation, but again, all starting from uh, these these famous stories, you know. As Uh, people of of story. It it just makes so much sense to connect those stories with the song. Um, But just, yeah, I love the way you both describe that process. Um, Let's look to another piece that has some scriptural roots uh, by John Foley. This is Come to the Water. to the water by by john foley what what do you really love about this song wow
2: that's one of the first ones i i, th- I think it wasn't the only but it, it was one of the first pieces that showed up at berkeley when we went that summer of 1974 and um it just knocked me over um uh, there's a, a a presence where I discover a presence in that with me and God, with us when we're singing it, Um, uh, the invitation to come as thirsty people, um, which that's really the case, and to say, come to the water, to respond to that. And especially the last one about let all the poor Uh, let them come to the water, all who have nothing, you know, let them come to the Lord. Uh, 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 To receive that invitation as someone who is thirsty and whose uh, um, thirst is slaked somewhat, um, then it's like, let's go, let's invite everyone to, to come to the water, it was very profound, and and that's from Isaiah fifty five. Um, the next morning, I I sat down with Isaiah fifty five and wrote, "Seek the Lord," which is the next text. So that song inspired me directly. So just to say
1: that, I never knew that rock. Wow, that's great. How
0: about you, ben? The beautiful again that that call, you know that the voice of god saying "Let let all again who are poor all who are hungry come and then yeah. we as the the worshipers are singing that those words and just wondering like what if you sing those over and over again in all of your songs are you thinking about how the words might form us that's i know the hope of liturgy too that it forms us as individuals and as a people that that changes us that adjusts our priorities to hopefully more closely match god's priorities and so singing words like that and hopefully we become a community that is doing that that is welcoming all uh to who are thirsty uh, all to come uh, was that something conscious for you in, in your writing process dan
1: you know um i would say only peripherally <laughs> um the thing that I am conscious of when I write and, and it's certainly it's, it's right at the heart and soul of this piece of John's is, is the, the image of God that a song and a text offers people. Um, this, this piece with that text from Isaiah and then John's amazing music to go with it. Um, offers people and offers me, which is so wonderful. It, it offers me that image of a God who who welcomes us to come and drink, as Rock was saying, to come and drink, but we can come just as we are, hungry, thirsty, poor, broken, um, uh, feeling barren, and, and we can come and we're welcomed and embraced and, offered this, this, the springs of life. Um, that's, that's the image of God. That's, um, so much of the part of my own spirituality, but it's, it's the image of God that, that people need to hear. And it's all over our music. yeah It really is. And it, and it comes from our, our being immersed in scriptures. Yeah. But, but, um, That's the powerful thing of music and text is is it offers an image of God to people that is different from the God who, who only welcomes us if we are holy or whole or sinless or purified or we have the money and the riches to buy God's favor. Or we keep all the rules to buy, God, buy God's favor. Um, if that's a very different image of God,
2: yes, yes. And just to say one thing about the compositional part of this thing, one um, I, I find that in when I have a given when there's words and melody at work, um, it creates its own zone. So I have I have. I I don't typically bring a lot of thought to that in terms of saying um, it has to be this, but but you know, say so let's see what unfolds within the space that is creative, and and yeah, see what happens.
0: This song, uh, "Come to the Water," strikes me. As a sort of bridge song, at least in the liturgical music world, again coming uh, from y- your group, and then uh, now, at least if you Google the song, the most uh, prominent recorded version is by the contemporary Christian uh, artist uh, Matt Maher, who's again on the Christian rock station. Oh, yeah, a- he really likes that. Yeah, um, yeah, and uses that, and has a nice recording of that. And I think too, again about about that is this kind of intergenerational project. You know, you're coming from your influences, then the next generation of uh, liturgical musicians and composers are coming. Um, what is your, your hope for them? Like, What do you see happening in the, the liturgical music world? Um, you know, what, what do you hope for those people who are taking up that mantle to go forward? <laughs> okay.
2: Go, so, um, so here's... Here's my bit of heresy, okay? <laughs> I don't believe, I, no, no, I don't put my energy toward the youth. I don't, and I, I'm going to really overstate this, okay, Mike? I don't care if they're in church or not. Now, that's a total overstatement, okay? What I have come to is um, it's the boomers who, um, when we were young, said, don't trust anyone over 30. And now that we're over 70, we're saying, let the people under 30 decide things. And I don't buy that. I think it's incumbent on our generation to seek, um, to, to, to discover and discern the difference between seeking relief or seeking comfort in church only, and seeking repentance and conversion, which means seeing into our lives the basic, well, I'll say this, the basic BS that we live from, the pretense, the hypocrisy, to name that and to come to God, like come to the water, like Dan said, uh, and receive the mercy. As we are, as people who don't, who just want to get by until we die. So my my hope for the future for anyone else younger than than us is to be able to look at that um, aspect of our lives and um, speak to God from our woundedness. Rather than just sing about it.
1: That's my little shtick. <laughs> that's good rock, yeah. I for me I I think there's there's a lot that's changing in the church. And and certainly the the connection or non-connection of the younger generations with organized religion and this is it's not we're not just talking about roman catholic or even christian it's it's sort of an across the board something's changing yeah. in the heart and spirit of the coming generations that's different than us and for me who has spent my life and my work and my energies so much focused on liturgy and within the context of this this institution, the challenge for me is, is is first of all to trust that the spirit of God is behind what's going on. I may not understand it or see or or you know where it's taking us, um, but when I you know, there's a part of me that could get discouraged and say, you know, in another generation or two, our music is going to be forgotten. Um, it could happen. Yeah. Um, I have a, a good friend of mine, a, Je- a Jesuit actually, Rock knows him too. Um, often I h- hear him say, um, he says, you know, what we preach as as Christians is the Paschal mystery, death and resurrection. Um, That's where we put our faith and our hope. And why should the institution of the church, uh, uh, the church as we have known it in our lifetime, be immune to that process, that journey of death and resurrection? Perhaps what's going on with the church is a kind of death of what we've known Historically, so that something new can rise out of that, that will be um, more life giving um, to f- the future generations. Yeah. are it? I'm in a different place than, than we are. And, and so th- there's a certain amount of surrender. Um, I, I suspect you experienced this too, Rock. There's certainly surrender. Um, personally in terms of getting older and and sur- surrender of my, my energies and certain aspects of my physical being and all of that. But there's also surrender to the future. Um, yeah. That, that what I've put my energies into may not be where the spirit is taking all of this.
2: Yeah. Yes. And I'll tell you, every once in a while, I just get completely depressed about that. Because part of it is um, um, my own self-involvement in that future um, as something that will be reflective of me in my life. And, you know, I. it's hard to let go of that, that my own View of what that future should look like isn't totally divinely inspired, you know. Yeah, that's hard yeah, right. to let go of. But I think that's part of the journey of this deal of saying um, our generation is about uh, 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 the journey toward diminishment and death. And I would propose not many of us have much wisdom to offer. And that um, the wisdom comes, as Dan said, is from engaging the process of dying and rising, and it's the first part that sucks. The second part is great, but the first part is really, the you know, leave me alone. Yeah. Yes. And- that's my
0: starting point. Sure. Yeah, no, thank you for those reflections, which bring us to our final uh, selection of five, this alone by Tim Mannion. So let's listen. Hear, O Lord, the sound of my calling. Hear, O
1: Lord, and show,
0: This alone, a setting of Psalm twenty-seven, uh, Dan. What what strikes you about this piece?
1: I've I've always loved this piece to death, um, Tim. For me, this for me personally, spiritually, um, this this is a piece that touches into the the deep hope in my soul that. That all of this is is going to end someday, in this place of, and I don't mean place by physical place, but but this uh, the, the the scripture that pops into my my brain just at the moment here is that passage where um, scripture so Jesus says, um, "I have come that you may have joy, that your joy may be complete." Um, Tim's song touches into that hope that we live with that that there's there's a, uh, a fulfillment of of this life and our efforts and our uh, creation of beauty for people to sing that it's taking us to this place, um, the house of the Lord, as Tim says in his song. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, and just the whole feel of that thing, um, the feel of it, it it's really uh, melody and text and the way to play it and the tempo, which is slow, uh, uh, cr- helps create in me a space where I can be attentive to the words and the, and the song um, one thing I ask this alone, I seek to d- dwell in your house, oh God, all the days of my life, you know, and
0: yeah, that's that just, it's wonderful. So we're, we're coming up now I, on the this 50th anniversary concert at the end of September. As you look forward to that, what are, what is like maybe one thing that you're really hoping for, something you're looking forward to with, uh, at that gathering?
2: We've talked about this. One of the things that keeps coming up is, um, we, we. I'm not sure exactly how we got into doing concerts. We rejected that for about forty years, or thirty-five years, or forty, whatever. And and part of the deal is it came up because we're helping with benefit concert stuff, but. Here we want to say, look, this is about the music, and this is about giving thanks to God for doing this work in us that a bunch of people like, a bunch of people don't. And to say, here we are, we give you thanks, O oh God, through and in this music, and thanks to the people who have sung it for, you know, 50 years.
1: Yes, Rock, I'm, I'm right with you. Um, This, this concert for me um, is all about gratitude. It's all about gratitude for God, um, for the work, as you say, Rock, that he's the work that God has done in us and through us. Um, It's, it's, I'm so aware that um, the, the place where our music lives is in the heart's and the lives of those people who will be coming there to be with us. Um, yeah, it's we we for all those years. The one of the the reasons why we didn't do concerts is is that we didn't want the focus, the spotlight, to be on us as stars or you know significant. Uh, personalities, um, we always wanted it to be on the music, tried to keep it on the music. Um, when we did our early recordings, we were so aware of trying to keep the sound of the recording, um, beautiful, but beautiful in a way that parish musicians could hear and reproduce, that the recordings wouldn't be off-putting, um, so th- yep. this I, I think our efforts, both Rock and I are are f- fairly <laughs> deeply involved in the planning of this final concert. And and all along the way, the two of us keep reminding each other and the other people who are involved, we, we try to keep reminding each other that this is not about us, the St. Louis Jesuits. It's about the the wondrous work of God and the music that people have carried, at least these people have carried, as being so significant in their journey of faith. Yes.
2: Yes. That's, yeah, that's really well put.
0: I love that theme of, of gratitude. And I think that's you know what I feel in my heart too, when I think about your ministry and uh, all the gifts you have given. And again, the, these free gifts was given to us uh, as a church and really taught me how to pray you know, as a kid coming up and, and learning about what it meant to, to pray in song. So thank you so much for all you have done and continue to do. Um, thank you for coming for our conversation today and, uh, blessings on your continued music making and ministry and uh, hope, and especially on September uh, September 29th. Hope that just goes so well for you all. Thanks,
2: Mike. Thank you so much, Mike. It's great talking with you and great being on this with you, Dan. It's
1: always good, man. You too, Rock. Thanks. Okay,
0: bye-bye. Oh. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Doris Sump, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org. We're on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at we Are the Jesuits and facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you or someone you know is interested in discerning a vocation to join the Jesuits, visit us at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.